um, with that, I am going to turn it over to Ed. I assume you're the leader here of the collaborative um, to start your presentation. Well, um, Kaylin Johnson is our, our, our principal in charge. So Kaylin, why don't you begin? Thank you. Good evening. We're very happy to be here. So as Ed said, I'm Kaylin Johnson, Senior Vice uh, President of Landscape Architecture and Design for the Collaborative. And we hope you see from our uh, proposal, the substance, the breadth, the depth and care that we put into putting it together is that we're very interested in working with you and with the Medford community. But before I begin, I wanna make a note about the presentation. We feel it's important for you to meet us and to get a sense of who we are. So for this reason, we'll periodically shift the, um, the slides to a subject matter to support what we're saying, but then we'll come back so that you can see the person who's actually talking so that we can address you more directly. My firm, The Collaborative, is responsible for the overall plan development, along with leading three specific tasks, community engagement, public services and facilities, and land use. One of the distinguishing strengths um, we offer Medford is our commitment of four seasoned senior professionals to serve as our core management team to work with you to develop the comprehensive plan. Together, the management team brings over 150 years of experience, which shows our commitment uh, to our interest in this project. It also means that Medford will benefit from the full attention of our firm's senior leaders from start to finish so that any issue we're gonna fully explore and make sure that everybody understands the different aspects of what we're working with. As principal in charge, I will serve as your corporate contact, checking in with you during the project to make sure you're getting what you want, to make sure the communication channels are clear and that we're connecting all the layers as we go along. A little bit about me, I've been a landscape architect for 30 years and have experience working on a wide range of projects. For this project, I will also work on the land use task. Currently, I am the lead, pro uh, lead landscape architect for the uh, Green Line Extension project. Joe Brevard, the collaborative CEO, will lead the public services and facilities and communi community engagement task. Because of the importance of community engagement, we're doing this as the prime contractor. We feel making sure community members speak directly to those writing the plan ensures that we're gonna have a plan that really grasps the community goals and addresses all the things that need to be addressed in this comprehensive plan. Another key firm leader is Ignacio Bunster Osa. He's our vice president for landscape Ur urbanism and resiliency, and he will lead the land use planning task. The collaborative's president, Ed Chocare, will serve as project manager. This slide introduces the collaborative team and reflects how we will work as a unified team that shares information and ideas among the, um, each other. We're supported by partners who are all leaders in their field. In the area of land use and zoning, we're partnering with land use attorney, Joel Russell. Bay Area Economics, led by Mary Burkholder, will prepare the plan's housing and economic development chapter. Howard Stein Hudson, led by Paul Nelson, is responsible for transportation and circulation. The plan's open space and recreation section will be developed by the Metropolitan Area Planning Council, who is represented by Ralph Wilmer, who recently developed Medford's open space plan. Our team's historic and cultural work will be led by Lisa Howe of Building Conservation Associates, Daniel Schaefner of Blue Zones, 
will work to ensure a strong focus on community health and that community health is incorporated into every aspect of the plan. Likewise, the Mass Audubon's Climate Action Group, led by Alexandria Vecchio, will focus on incorporating climate resiliency also into every aspect of the plan. Now I'd like to introduce Joe Brevard. Joe? Good evening. Thank you for inviting us. Good to be with you. On comprehensive planning projects, the role of project manager is a critical one. And I'd like to introduce you to ours. Ed Showcare brings to Medford experience as a leading master planner, municipal planner, and consensus builder. He has an unusual talent for the development of plans for complex projects. Ed's managed some of Boston's largest and most important planning projects. For example, he served as project manager for the Deposit River Reservation Master Plan, one of the largest urban recreation initiatives in Boston's history. It turned a once contaminated, fenced off stretch of the Neponset River into the Neponset River Greenway that's enjoyed by tens of thousands of people each year. Last year, the Greenway was named one of America's great places by the American Planning Association. That's the association's highest honor. In addition to having authored many municipal comprehensive plans, Ed has been responsible for making plans happen. For our firm's contract with a city of 110,000 residents in Metro Atlanta, Ed was community development director, responsible for planning and zoning, economic development, community engagement, and other activities. I'm noting this experience because Ed has been in your shoes. Metro will benefit from the value added that Ed and our firm bring. We know firsthand what it takes to both craft comprehensive plans and make them happen. For Medford, we'll prepare a plan whose recommendations are tied to real world policies, processes, and initiatives. A few more words about Ed. He's sincerely committed to our firm's motto, change for good. Outside work, he's founded three nonprofit civic and environmental organizations. And most recently, he founded the Gloucester Education Foundation that helped shape the new community vision for the schools and secured key partnerships with businesses, civic organizations, and community leaders that produced $10 million in support for the schools. Ed? Thank you, Joe, and thank you for inviting us to meet with you tonight. I'm gonna to start by breaking one of the first rules of presentation making. I'm gonna point out a negative. I'm gonna begin by telling you what a comprehensive plan is not. Comprehensive plan is not a bound document of words and charts and graphs and pretty pictures. When created with, by, and for members of a community, a comprehensive plan represents the aspirations of that community, thoughtfully joined together to serve as a travel guide for a community's journey toward the future of its choice. In our proposal, we begin the project understanding section with the words, it's about community. With it, we include an image from the center of our proposal cover that reflects our belief in the importance and power of community. Preserving and strengthening community defines, defines our team's comprehensive planning approach. The plan we prepare with you will be all about the countless connections and layers of living, breathing relationships that make Medford a community. For it's these relationships that make Medford, Medford. 
person to person, neighbor to neighbor, resident to store owner. It's these relationships that create community that grow from day to day shared moments, greetings on the sidewalk, conversations waiting in line at a store or before a local event. And sometimes relationships grow by pausing and stepping back and taking stock of those things that contribute to your community's quality of life while identifying those things that need to be made better. This is where we would begin our work for you. We propose undertaking a community-based planning process with and for Medford residents, business owners, community organizations, government representatives, that shapes a vision for Medford of where you wanna go in the future and a plan that preserves the community's strengths and one that fosters growth and positive change that enhances the lives of all who make Medford their home. We suspect that one of the questions you'll ask us tonight will be, what do we know about Medford? So let me answer it now. Not enough. And that's as it should be. We look forward to learning from you, your neighbors, your children, local businesses. The very authenticity of this plan will come from all of you who know Medford best. That's what's happening in these photographs. The people doing the talking and discussing are all community members. So why do you need us? Well, while we will be listening and learning, we won't be wallflowers. When we're not meeting with you, we'll be digesting what we glean from community meetings, along with reams of technical information. And we'll be sharing what we learn among ourselves in light of our training, experience, and knowledge, so that we can, can, can contribute to subsequent community meetings with different perspectives and ideas. The best comprehensive plans are always ones that start by assessing and understanding a community's many strengths. So often people wanna go immediately to what they see as issues to be fixed. In fact, the shortcoming of doing that is usually what needs to be improved comes from leveraging a community's strengths to solve challenges. Think of your own body. If you wanna get physically stronger, it's best to start exercising the muscles you have to grow them over time. In Medford's case, you have a lot going for you. One of the first products we will produce for you is a community engagement plan that is made up of a broad set of activities for inviting the community to participate in the planning process. We won't do this until we've met with the city represented, with city representatives and the steering committee members so that we build on what you have found works to inform and involve members of the community. Along with obtaining real information that will shape the plan, the secondary goal of designing and undertaking a comprehensive community engagement process is to enable the city to proactively address those who might say later that they can't support some element of the plan because they didn't know about it. We have learned if you undertake most of these steps on this list, you can feel confident that unless someone was out of town for a year, members of the community knew the plan was happening and that they were invited to participate. 
This project schedule shows how central community engagement is to the development of Medford's comprehensive plan. A broad range of community engagement activities take place from start to finish. We've gone ahead and drafted an example of a clear and positive graphic identity and message. And whatever brand is selected for the planning process, it would then be used again and again on all the plans communications materials. Here's an example. In support of the Acton comprehensive planning process, we designed banners similar to this that were hung off streetlights in village centers. They were a high visibility way to inform the community a planning process was underway and gave a website address where people could go to find out more. Here's another example of how the plan's brand would be incorporated into the project's website. As you know, for many, websites are an important way to get information about upcoming meetings and the like. But they're also an important place where community members can go and express themselves. In all the websites we develop, we include an online survey that allows the users to add comments to a city map and to add written and written comments. One valuable way we found for inviting the community to share their hopes for the future is by designing surveys that are sent, then sent out to every household and business in a community. We also incorporate these into the project's website. For example, in Acton, Mass, every household and business received a survey that resulted in two things. Thousands of completed surveys were sent in, and those who didn't, at least they saw that their government leaders were interested in what they had to say. We always incorporate both graphic and written surveys into a project website or make available via social media. For example, in the city of Tucker, Georgia, community members could fill out an online survey and also they could make comments via an, an interactive map. This layer shows where community members wanted to see pedestrian improvements. Another layer shows where people felt there were public safety concerns. And for each icon, the person could add written comments. And these are just a few of the topics covered. We use data analysis tools to help us digest the information we receive from surveys and from community meetings. And now let me turn to community meetings. Prior to meetings, we work with communities to undertake a range of steps to inform and invite the public to participate. For example, this is a meeting announcement we designed and published in newspapers at the start of a comprehensive planning project in the city of Sandy Springs. This is a postcard we sent to residents, businesses, and civic organizations at the outset of a planning project we led in Atlanta. Of course, we prepare invitation, meeting invitations and other project information materials in, in multiple languages. Another way to invite community members to join in planning projects is to, by designing A-frame signs and placing them at shopping centers and other high visibility locations. Along with community meetings, we've found an effective way to learn about community goals is by organizing a range of walking tours. Walking tours are often led by representatives of local businesses and civic organizations. And for those who can't participate, we make sure there's always someone there capturing the tours on video and sending it out via social media or for posting later on the project's website. At the outset of the planning process, uh, virtual meetings will be scheduled. And after COVID, we hope to move into facilitating a range of in-person meetings. 
Central to all community planning processes are public meetings in which everyone is invited. We call these community forums, we call these community forums because they're far from your standard public meetings. Typically the first is dedicated to visioning and it provides an opportunity for people to share their hopes and ideas and yes, their concerns too. When we do facilitate in-person meeting, meetings, we use a number of energetic and fun activities to promote idea sharing and discussion. These photographs show residents actively participating in meetings. One virtual community forum that we recommend hosting early in the process is what we call a civic roundtable. At these, we invite about a dozen representatives from local community organizations to share with the public what they're doing and what they're planning in the future. These, are off, these often include a representative from the Chamber of Commerce, environmental organizations, housing groups, and, and anti-poverty organizations, art and historical organizations, and others. We have found that these to be extraordinarily valuable. The public leaves amazed at how much local organizations to do, are doing to make their community a success. At the same time, the organization representatives learn about what each other is doing, and they often leave agreeing to meet in the future to find ways to better work together. In support of all comprehensive planning projects, we like to work with teachers in the local schools to involve their students K through 12 in activities in which they imagine a better community. These photographs are of Canton Mass, Elementary, Canton Mass Elementary School students presenting their ideas for the, futures, for the future. These letters to the future are from Acton Mass Elementary School students. And as you can see, the ideas range from less expensive housing to an amusement park. These photos are of Acton Mass Middle School students participating in student vision activities. In high schools, we usually work with social studies and civic class teachers. These two Tucker, Georgia high school students are representing, presenting their ideas before a community forum of over 150 people. As we progress in the planning process, we'll be proposing ideas in community meetings and written documents and online to spark more discussion. And in response to community comments, we'll revise and refine the ideas. Building on the community process and Medford's vision for itself and ideas and recommendations that emerge during the process, we synthesize and integrate these into a comprehensive, <clears throat> into a comprehensive plan. These are the plan topics we anticipate being covered in a Medford plan. And please note the last chapter of the plan is titled Work Plan. This slide is a copy of one page of a work plan from a comprehensive plan. It includes a table showing an action, an act, an action by plan chapter, what goal it links to, it presents a schedule, identifies responsible parties, possible sources of funding, and where appropriate rough budget estimates. Along with producing a plan, we recommend designing and printing a one page plan and a poster that summarizes the main goals and action steps that then is posted in community bulletin, on community bulletin boards, in city hall, library, schools, and in store windows. Another way to help make sure a plan is implemented for, year, far, for years into the future is by organizing a comprehensive plan implementation committee to meet annually and to report 
each year on how Medford is doing toward realizing the comprehensive plan's goals. One of the most important outcomes of a community-based process will be the emergence of broad-based community consensus in support of Medford's comprehensive plan. This brings us back to the plan being all about community. Our experience shows that a community-based process is the most effective way to create a plan that is of Medford, true to Medford, and will serve Medford far into the future. So, thank you. Great. <laughs> thank you very much for that very um, thorough um, presentation. Um, and so we'll start by asking some questions. I think um, my first question, I will say that you did hit on, um, but I wanted to sort of give you the chance to talk to this a little bit is about who from the core team, besides Ed, obviously we'll be, we would be seeing Ed re regularly if we were to choose the collaborative, um, but who from the core team would be, we be seeing regularly? Because there are a lot of teams and sub-peoples involved. And about what would be the hours per week commitments that would be involved from each of the team members who are involved in this? And as part of that, um, we had put a projected timeline in, and you had given one back in the presentation, and we are um, a few, sorry, uh, about a month and a half off of where we had originally thought we would be. And so if you could speak to just how things may have changed around your availability, um, because we're now looking at a January start rather than a mid-November start. Good, thank you. Um, in terms of who you'll be seeing is on a dated, you know, on a week-to-week -week basis, you'll be interacting with me as project manager and as needed, I will bring in appropriate people. Um, uh, to go, um, we'll be and in terms of meeting with the steering committee. I'll be there usually, and probably one other staff member. Um, in community meetings, you'll see a lot of us at those community meetings. It's important for uh, we have found at community meetings for the technical leads to to be there, um, that budget permitting. But um, uh, they make for much more substantive conversations. If somebody has a question about economic development, or if somebody has a particular question about transportation it's good for those leads to be there. So uh, uh, depending on the forum, again, a community, you know, the, the community, that's a civic round table, not everyone needs to be there for that and so on, but it depends. Um, and, but, and then we work, uh, when you don't see us, we'll be working together um, as well. And we're mindful of your budget. You don't, there is a big team with a lot of senior talented people. And so we want to be, you know, uh, be efficient with our time, but you will, and, I know you've checked our references. I think all of our clients will say that they get what they and more than what they 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 ask for. Um, we 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 dedicate ourselves to the communities we work for. Um, and in terms of the times, yeah, Joe. Let me just ask to the time sure. schedule. We're, it's you said a year to to eighteen months. We gave you a year. Some um, we can. We all have talked about this, and especially with COVID. We're, uh, we think that, that we're all willing to, to slide this out even further, if that makes sense, and start certain things that are better started now, to, but to allow for as much real in-person community engagement as possible and figure out what things could be done you know, that are better done virtually and so on. So uh, we're flexible on that. 
And so, I would just add, you will, you will see the senior people that you see on the call, you will see at various community-oriented events, public engagement activities as appropriate, as as said, keeping efficiency in mind. But the people you see here will be involved intensively in the project. And you will, you will see us as appropriate, depending upon the event, the meeting, and so forth. Does that answer your question, Alicia? No, nope. great, that, that is helpful. Um, Annie, do you wanna take the next question? All right. Um, so I know that you spoke to this a little bit and showed kind of a bulleted list. And um, I know you mentioned wanting to hear a lot from the community about this, but could you touch on a bit on a high level what you see as the, um, the opportunities and challenges uh, in regards to Medford's master plan and, uh, and approaching that? Are you asking about putting the master plan together? Or are you asking about what uh, we see to be the biggest challenges that the plan might need to address for Medford? Uh, I'd say more that we need to address, but maybe a little of both. What might be a, a challenge to the process itself as well? Well, the challenge that, that we all face is, is COVID right now in terms of putting the plan together. It's just, it, it's doable and we, we're doing it and we, and we are for other um, clients. It, but it, it's, it, it takes away from some of the opportunities to, for that wonderful uh, interchange and creativity that comes with people in a room together, sharing ideas and so on. So, but we can, we can make that work. Um, and, and in terms of the ch challenge facing um, any comprehensive plan is, you, is the one that's facing so many of us, uh, all communities, is climate change. It's, it's putting stress on communities in so many kinds of ways. And um, you've identified that. One of the, your, your RFPs is very a strong RFP, well-written, and, 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 and identifies how important that is, if you're looking 10 years into the future, why stop at 10? We really are going to look further than that, uh, as, especially with climate change coming. And so uh, actions we take now are very, very, Medford and other communities take now are critical to, um, and, and you have to think through what does climate change mean. Some others want to talk, Ignacio, you haven't said anything. Uh, thank you, Ed. <clears throat> and Annie, that, that's a wonderful question to meditate a little bit on kind of a state of the world in, in some regard, because uh, so much has changed so rapidly this past year. Uh, and in planning and design, the question that Ed uh, brings up in terms of climate change sort of seems to round, run counter in a way with the idea of work with the community to understand community values, because it's overwhelming. It, it affects everyone, no matter what you think of a place, the climate issue is there. For example, in Medford, you know, uh, you, you review the, the, the vulnerability assessment that you guys did and you understand where flooding will occur in the southeast, you know, quadrant of the city. It's also where minorities tend to, 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 to live. And so you have a confluence of social and physical factors that, you know, uh, you know 10, 20 years ago, no, no one was, was really thinking about. So there's two opportunities with that to really close in on this major issue with public health in mind to advance solutions that be become equitable in addition to solving the problem of climate. So all that is wrapped up in, in the question of, of land use. 
what goes where, why do you put it where, who's gaining, who's losing uh, to make this formula work. And ultimately, it's presenting that and working with the community to for us to understand how that juncture wakes and uh, you know works and how it might take physical shape in the future of the city. I'm going to ask Mary, and do you mind if we do it by some of the subject areas? Respond to the Mary. <coughs> would you talk about from an economic development and and housing uh, perspective? Um, sure. Uh, the, uh, from the housing perspective, I know you have a housing production plan underway. It will be good to see uh, what's, what uh, comes out of that. I think one of the big challenges with housing in, in today, and, I, and it is mentioned in, mentioned in your RFQ, is, is finding ways to build affordable housing. Um, that's that, and that is, um, can be difficult. Um, there are a lot of pressures in different ways. That's one of the things that will... Um, we'll definitely need to wrestle with and figure out the best way to, to solve that. Uh, related to that, workforce housing. Um, also, uh, just trying to be able to, people who can afford to live, who work in positions in public safety and, te and teachers, can they afford to live in your community? And that's a challenge. Um, on the, um, I'd say on the economic development side, the big challenge with economic development, and particularly such a, a desirable community as, as Medford is, is um, finding the right balance of, 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 of attracting businesses that, um, that, that are community serving, um, but also uh, help with the bottom line in terms of creating jobs and, um, and uh, the fiscal benefit of those companies. So that's, that's another big challenge is where's that balance point? I mean, you don't want to attract big employers that actually add to the congestion problem. And um, so that's something that I think we have to really work out through the community engagement um, that, um, that Ed talked about. Paul, so that, will you, Paul, will you speak to transportation? It's, it's, uh, in every, it affects our lives, every community, and Medford's no different. Sure, absolutely. Thanks, Ed. <clears throat> um, what I was thinking in response to your question is that, you know, transportation, we always kind of joke is <clears throat> you actually don't really want to use a lot of transportation. You know, for the most part, you don't want to be stuck in traffic. You don't want to be delayed on the T. And I think that that's something that especially pre-COVID kind of really dominated, you know, the feeling that you really couldn't get around, um, that you can't do the things you used to be able to do um, at lunch hour or to go to dinner and things like that. But I think one of the things that's really possible through, um, I actually really like talking about transportation through the lens of a comprehensive plan, because it's, it's much easier to talk about transportation and changes to the transportation network when you can relate them to other things. Um, as an example, you know, if you have folks in your community that are looking to downsize but still stay in the community, we can link that conversation to denser housing in some of the squares and urban areas. And then people can start to see that the streetscape improvements and biking and walking improvements are for them as they try and stay in the community and have a place to go from this new development. So um, I think that that's definitely a challenge is, is making people feel like we can actually do something to change the transportation situation. But I think, again, the lens of a comprehensive plan is a really great way to engage in that conversation. Danielle, you're nodding your heads, and Danielle's, as we noted, and Blue Zones will be looking at community health, and, and that's tied into all of what we've just talked about. Danielle, you want to share a perspective? 
Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, I couldn't agree more with what the other team members have said. Um, I, I think, you know, we're in a moment where health, equity, resiliency, all of these components are, you know, I'd say more exposed, heightened, the need to focus in on them is more important now than, you know, than ever. And so I think with that said, I think as we think about the equitable development pieces, um, access, right? Is it geographical affordability? Um, you know, what are those pieces that really need to show forth in policies, objectives, you know, even the work planning elements that not only tie all of these pieces together, but focus on that connection, that engagement ongoing, that public space sort of activation um, that really allows people to feel connected and to feel, you know, pride and, and to stay in the community that they love, right, to Asian place, to, to think about all these components and thread them throughout um, is really about, I think, to Ignacio's earlier point, that community resiliency. You know, I, th I think this is a foundational um, pillar, and I, I think it has been, but I think, you know, it's, it, it's the time to really highlight that and, and, and echo this community's values in that. We, we can add from further from other team members' perspectives. You, you tell us. Um, why don't we, um, we have a couple of more questions. Um, Jackie, do you want to ask a question? Actually, Alicia, um, thank you for that. But um, they have been um, describing beautifully exactly what I was going to ask, especially with Danielle leading off with um, it being a foundational pillar for actually um, describing how you would address pretty much um, conflicting values and beliefs on, on what is being held in, in Medford. And as the chief of staff, uh, David Rodriguez himself have said, you know, Medford people, uh, there's this idea of what Medford was, what Medford is, and what Medford could be. And I think you guys have done a great job with demonstrating pretty much how you would um, address those issues and, and, and pretty um, resolve conflict or, or get people to better understand uh, the resiliency and, and agent in place and all the other factors and why we need multi-family multi housing and not just single family housing. And um, Paul described it beautifully in his transportation. So I, Alicia, um, I don't know if you want to allow them to continue on that because there, there was a lot of um, great information coming out of, of, of those responses. <laughs> I think a little bit about how do you guys resolve conflict? Have you been in, you know, the situations where you go to a public meeting and people feel very, very strongly about directly opposing viewpoints, the people who absolutely, we need more housing to make housing more affordable. And the people who say, we don't need more housing, the transportation, the traffic is so bad here. We can't, we can't add more people because we can't move on our roads. Right. And, well, and it's not a, you know, that's not a made up thing that our roads are congested. So how mm -hmm. would you handle something like that? Well, well, Joe, why don't you talk a little bit about how in, I think Alicia's first question was really speaking to just some of the human dynamics that, and, and tensions that sometimes come up between neighbors that, um, it, about opposing views and strongly held opposing views um, in meetings and how we might uh, diplomatically right. handle that. And then we could talk about more on a policy level, some of those tensions. Right, and of course, of course the, first, the first way to respond is to expect it and that it, it's inevitable and that people have strong views about development, about transportation, about how policy proposals affect their neighborhood or their activities, as Paul said, or their commute. 
not only to work, but to get around the city and, and the area to conduct their natural family affairs. One of the things that I think that we found is helpful, and it's not a new idea, but we try to continue to develop it in our work, is when we find specific areas of, of friction to create a larger pattern of interaction on that topic. Let's say it's uh, rear lot subdivisions or, or accessory apartments or vary zoning changes that might promote or, or, or allow for uh, denser housing in certain areas than perhaps the as of right or the background zoning is to get enough people of goodwill who have different opinions on it assemble them into a group that we call, we use the term roundtable a lot, to get people to sit who have similar views, who, who share different views, but many of the views within the group may be in opposition and get them to air their views in a larger setting of maybe, you know, 10, 15, 20 people. And so to get people to at least understand the other side enough when you're attaching a particular person to that view. And we've We've had some success in bridging gaps by organizing uh, sessions of that sort. And that would come out not so much specified in our public engagement plan, but we would allocate uh, some resources as we developed a public engagement plan to give us the freedom to put together, to convene uh, those kind of small group interaction sessions on, on hot issues or contentious issues. One example of a of a way we might on a policy level um, look at addressing some, what might be seen as conflicting tensions and perspectives uh, around some of these topics, um, density and so on is, is, um, is what we've done in some other communities. And I, I maybe there's some opportunities in Medford to do this where when because we have the largest cohort in our, our population are baby boomers who are getting older and they, they, many of them, a number of them own homes and they now want to retire. They don't want to have a big, large home. Um, those, those folks often, but they want to stay in the community in which they live, often are uh, allowing for more dense housing, three, four-story housing, depending on a village center, in some of your village centers in Medford Square, squares, that for, but making age restricted to 55 and older, so that then takes, that gets that for concern about adding more people to the schools and children to the schools and the cost of that. So, at, but it allows people in the community who now live here to say, oh, I can still, I can sell, make some of, take some of that equity, um, share it with my kids, Sell, give the house to the kids or whatever, and, or um, and to sell the house and then retire with that equity, still stay in Medford. Um, and, and they don't have to drive as much because they now can walk more to the places that they can enjoy. They're now going to help and shop and keep those stores more lively. The people off the street, and you've now opened up housing to keep house, and when you have more housing supply, you're going to keep housing costs down in general. That, that's just a, a housing economics. And so that's a, one example of a way that we can bring different perspectives together to get at, you know, to help get at some of those tensions we see in communities. Thank you. Annie, do you want to ask a question? 
Sure. Um, I was hoping you could speak a little bit more to the open space um, aspect of the plan. And I know you'd mentioned uh, MAPC updating some of the work that they've done for us and um, some of the work around climate. And I just wanted some more information and, and clarity on that. Ralph, you want to go with, and then Alexandra, you can contribute as well, please. Sure. Uh, so um, as you know, uh, the open space and recreation plan was completed about a year ago. Um, whenever we get involved in master plan projects where you have a, a fairly recent plan, it's always uh, worthwhile to take a look at plan, validate the goals and objectives, take a second look at the implementation strategies and see whether or not um, those still make sense and are still relevant and maybe revisit the priority levels that were uh, given to the implementation measures when the plan was originally written. Um, the Doing it through a master plan gives you the opportunity to better marry the open space and recreation goals and objectives with other aspects of a master plan. So we talk about transportation, and in this case, you know, we'd want to look at uh, creating networks between uh, the various open spaces, making sure that pedestrian and bicycle safety and access is appropriate. Uh, from an economic development perspective, we may want to look again at um, how open space can be connected to arts and culture, uh, arts and cultural opportunities uh, throughout the plan. Um, and, uh, and certainly enhancing things uh, through the lens of uh, public health. Um, would be another important thing. And I think, you know, when we wrote the plan, you know, COVID wasn't on anyone's uh, mind. And clearly the fact that we're now uh, dealing with uh, the impacts of a pandemic, we can rethink about the importance of open space and recreational opportunities and how can we um, create more opportunities for people to have equal access to open space and recreational opportunities you know, for people of all ages, all abilities, um, make sure that uh, those opportunities are there to to deal with some of the public health impacts that we may be seeing uh, as a result of our responses to uh, the pandemic. Um, and then, Ralph, Ralph, let me just ask Alexandra to um, continue. Yeah, I was going to turn it over to the climate. Oh, okay, right. thank you. Thanks so much. Uh, hi, Alexandra with Mass Audubon. Um, so I think, you know, the challenge and perhaps the exciting part about climate, if you want to look at it that way, is that it's this overarching issue that really folds into everything. Um, so we can't really be addressing our transportation, our public health, our open space planning without also thinking about our climate um, goals. And so obviously Medford's already thought about this um, through the climate change vulnerability assessment that you've all done. So we would, um, you know, through increasing um, heat, uh, stormwater flooding, um, you know, uh, access um, to uh, nature as we were just talking about all those and the economic vulnerabilities that come with climate change. Um, we would wanna make sure that we're identifying solutions that help address those climate vulnerabilities and also bring forward other positive benefits to the community. Um, and our experience and expertise is um, absolutely in leveraging um, nature-based solutions or nature's value um, for a changing climate. So how to leverage the assets we already have, how to restore assets that, you know, maybe um, are degraded or need additional uh, support or, and um, to look for different opportunities um, to collaborate with 
uh, regional partners as well, um, because climate knows no boundaries um, for how we can uh, find success and both through mitigation of those greenhouse gases and then also adaptation. So um, I think our approach would be to build certainly looking at the vulnerabilities that you've all have identified and looking for solutions that address those while also looking at all aspects of this comprehensive plan. Great, thank you. Um, can you speak to some of the um, lessons learned from other, plan other plans and projects that you've worked on that you would apply here? That's a good question, but I, I'm going to give Joel Russell, uh, who's a land use planner, an opportunity to, to speak uh, um, on some on that one. On what are some of the things you've learned, Joel, that you would might be relevant in on this project? From yeah. thank you, Ed. Um, and one of the things I've learned from doing this for many years is that if you want to see your plan implemented, you really have to pay attention to the measures. Uh, that will work to do that. And one of the most important ones is zoning. And I've, I've noticed that many times plans sit on the shelf and never get implemented through zoning. Um, I, I've seen so many comprehensive plans that are great plans are beautiful. They have great ideas. But then when the time comes to actually make changes in, in town policies, uh, it doesn't happen. Um, and that's largely because the, the zoning piece is usually more con controversial politically. Um, so I've always favored, um, and one of the things I've learned from this work is that if you begin the zoning work while you're doing the comprehensive plan, you have a much better idea of what, what it should do and what the plan should say so that what's in the plan can be easily implemented through zoning. And one of the things I, I, I want to commend the, the city of Medford because you've already started uh, doing a review and an analysis of your existing zoning. That's usually one of the first things I do when I do one of these projects. But you, you already kind of stepped into that, which means it'll be that basic piece will be largely done. And I hope we can build off of that and focus the zoning discussion on what needs to change that will facilitate the actual implementation of the plan. So it, to me, it's really important that they are worked on simultaneously um, and ideally even adopted simultaneously, but that, you know, that's up to the community. But if they're not, oftentimes you end up either not doing the zoning or you end up with zoning that really isn't consistent with the plan. So uh, I think that's a really important takeaway for this. And, and I think you, the reason why we stress the importance of engaging so many people and members of a community in a process is because we've learned early on that, you know, that while it takes more time um, to do um, and creativity and patience and diplomacy and so on, it's, and uh, it results in uh, plans that have better legs, better foundation for happening. So that's why we put so much emphasis into that. I appreciate we have one member of our team who hasn't had a chance to speak and it, and, and it is a time. And Lisa, how would you talk a little bit about cultural and historical? Yeah, it's been, there are so many things I want to respond to from what other people have said. But uh, first of all, 
Medford has an amazing uh, resources in the town, just everything from the Royal House to the Middlesex Canal. I mean, you have a huge range of resources. Um, and you've also done a lot of work in the past. Um, you've done two comprehensive plans or surveys of the buildings in, the, in Medford. So that helps a lot with being able to understand the overall resource. Um, and one of the lessons we've learned in the past is that the earlier that you have conversations with the stakeholders in the city, the better, because we understand then what the priorities are and what the goals are of those organizations like the Historical Commission and Society and the Arts Council. Um, and I also wanted to address one of the, the the concept of uh, conflict. And one of the most exciting things that's happening in preservation right now is whose history are we portraying at historic sites and in our public squares? So I think that will be a very interesting conversation to have with the people of the city of Medford. Who's there now and whose history needs to be told? So I think- um, Thanks, Lisa, that, that was great. And Allison, would you pull up the, the last set of slides from our deck that begin with the windows? Could we just share some slides with you that speak to how, different ways, uh, builds on the cultural and historical and, and also one more way we can show. This is um, why we, how we do community engagement and how it, if a community engagement process can lead to some real world uh, outcomes. This is something we call windows into Medford, pull it up. And what it is, 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 is creating on the city's website, uh, uh, something that we're calling windows into Wedford, Medford that celebrate the, the people, not just the buildings and so on who make, have made Medford Medford, you do this with the local historic society and historic commission and so on, and students and schools and so on. And it's, it's this, and because you've got this wonderful history and, and current community. And, but you also, because we live in this atomized, isolated world with windshield to windshield, we need to create more knowledge about our community and celebrate our community. We should, this is also not a website uh, resource uh, for the community, but go to the next slide. You then put up in your downtown and your village squares banners that tell the story of some of the people who've, who've contributed and lived in Medford and so on in the past. For example, here's Amelia Earhart. So it, it, it's, uh, it's celebrating your history and it's making a more attractive streetscape, but let's go on. And then you change these banners, you know, you have here, you know, over time, let's go to the next one. And, and these are just some people from the past. Um, you could be doing a banner system on your firefighters, on your police, on the local merchants. And they could even, in fact, the local, mer and, and you, the, it tells a little bit of, so it's a way to get people to more familiarize themselves with each other and celebrate each other. So this is just one idea of how you can bring in culture into the, the pedestrian environment and also um, build more connections in the community. Uh, thank you with that, Allison. 
Mr. Shukir, one, uh, one of the community members, um, I know you elaborated on, commu on community engagement earlier, but um, I believe that they're a little concerned about the lack of technology, as um, Annie had asked earlier, and engaging folks who are not using the technology and um, because Medford has multiple languages, right? Uh, English is not an only language. And if you can just address that, I'm sure that it may be in your presentation or even in the proposal, but just so that the community is, is um, more aware of how you would um, engage them in those cases outside outside of traditional engagement techniques well that that's a good question one of the we work with the community to find out how you're doing that now right mm -hmm. because you must be doing it now and who you're who are those communities one of the things we'll do that's non-traditional is we'll organize and we we put it in the proposal um one of the things we found to be very effective is to do a fair amount of one-to-one -one meetings with representatives of, of those newer residents of the community. So that they, to, to find out, to, to make them understand that they're welcome to participate. Find, a lot of the times they're just too busy. A lot of the, they're, they're carrying two jobs. So how do we bring what that discussion to them so it fits, in, and fits into their lives? So not only is it language, but is how does we help the help meet meet their schedules but really talking with them and finding out how what are the concerns of their community how maybe more members of their community of their communities might want to engage or would find it comfortable to engage the public schools is a great way um, to get to, to families that way and working with the schools uh, to get out information um, to, to students and then to pa parents. A lot of times things don't get lost in backpacks, but we're talking about more than just putting things in the backpack flyers. But uh, teachers have a good, good handle about the residents, uh, the, the, the students and their families. And so we, but that takes a lot of one-on-one -on -one and, and we've done it before. And, um, and that's one thing that works. Uh, not everyone uses in terms of technologies. We want to make sure that people can call in to meetings and so on and not just not just be rely on uh, computers because not right. everyone has access to do that. Um, if I could, if, if I could jump in, Ed, that's a, a perfectly good question, and it's an essential question. One of the things that we spend a lot of think think time on at the beginning of a a project like this is to try to understand all the audiences that are in a in a community. And there are the typical easy to define audiences, the established organizations, the active people, these, the issue driven uh, organizations that assemble and get, thus, get stuff done. But what, one of the things we find essential, and it was asked earlier, what have we learned from other assignments that are valuable here, is, is we need, it's essential to dig beneath the surface as much as possible to find out those audiences that are not represented. Because if you just go with those who are represented, you will miss those who aren't in the habit of doing it, are too busy to do it, or somehow or other maybe feel left out for various uh, social and economic reasons. So how would we do that? One of the things we would do is work with you, as Ed said, your established infrastructure and network of outreach by which the city organizations, city departments reach out and, 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 and get in touch with various uh, constituencies, we would branch off that to try to identify those who may be less able to participate through technology issues or for other reasons, and then find a way 
identify where those people get their sense of community and gatherings from and piggyback onto those types of gatherings with the message of what this plan is about and where the plan is going and more, most importantly, why it should be important to them. So we would find existing organized gatherings and piggyback on those and those often, as Ed may point out, may come down to maybe some one-on-one -on -one sessions or some small group meetings in order to foster the enthusiasm in the planning process. But the key is to reach out, identify underrepresented audiences and then reach into those audiences, find out what they're doing, whether that's their places of worship, other organizations, the merchants associations, and go to them. And that could be virtual, it could be limited or somehow modified in person. But we would do that homework very early in the process to Ignacio, do you want to identify that? Ignacio, you want to add to that? Thanks, Thank Jim. But I don't want to take uh, more time to this, but uh, certainly I can help with the 3.7 percent, uh, you know, white Hispanic population as I'm a native Spanish speaker. But uh, I, I think I can also say that the, the idea of reaching out and being in person is supremely important so that people can understand that you really care. I mean, ultimately, that's a goal. Right. And that, well, you saw that we had the student visions. You saw some of the kids who that is just a great way when those kids present in the meetings, they bring their parents, they get their, you know, they, and it's, it's just an exciting way to, 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 to involve families, all kinds of families. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much. This has been really helpful and really enlightening. Um, it really uh, answered our questions very thoroughly, and it is really great to get to hear from all of you. Um, we appreciate your time this evening. Um, if there's, uh, well, I guess I was going to say, um, we already did say if there was any questions, sorry, I, uh, as it is working from home, my teen son walked through the room and broke my chain of thought in the middle of that sentence. But uh, thank you all this evening for being here with us. We appreciate it. We appreciate your time. Um, and we will be in touch. Okay. Thank you very thank much. You. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank Bye -bye. you. <laughs> Good night, Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Good night.